Hey everybody, this is Dan Trottencheck from the Taken Care of Business podcast, and uh, and we're so glad you're here with us today. Uh, we, we have a real interesting conversation. We're going to talk with a, a, a young retailer out of Cincinnati by the name of Matt Woods, and, and what I think you're going to find interesting about our conversation with Matt is not only does he run an urban store, not only is he really growth-focused, but, but he's really kind of someone who epitomizes an operation that isn't scared to, to kind of break out out of that independent retailer uh, kind of mold and look at things like, how do I integrate technology into my business? How do I start developing culture? How do I grow actively? And and he's a really good representation of the kinds of of really innovative and aggressive young retailers that are coming into this industry that are going to drive us into this new decade and this new new, uh, part of uh, of, uh, of the times we're going into and probably a great podcast to to start off early in the in the year of 2020 with so we're glad you're with us sit back and enjoy our our discussion with matt woods today's episode is brought to you by sacrete are you looking to add quality concrete mortar and stucco mixes as well as repair and specialty items to your product lineup sacrete provides the tools you need to run a better business whether that's through exceptional customer support sales and marketing tools varied product assortments or just finding reliable products Sacrete offers knowledgeable retail experts that understand the needs of your store. To learn more, visit www.sacrete.com slash hardware retailing. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Taking Care of Business podcast. This is Dan Trottencheck, and um, we are sitting here in, in in what to many of us who grew up in the uh, in the latter half of the 20th century in uh, in a time that is uh, um, at one time was very very far off and futuristic, and 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 today we have a great show because we're going to be talking to one of the young leaders in our industry, a, a gentleman by the name of of Matt Woods, who is the CEO of Woods Hardware over in the Cincinnati area, and. And it's probably fitting to to kind of be talking to you, Matt, um, as we as we start this this new decade, uh, because you are, of course, you know, like I said, one of the young leaders in this industry who's doing some exciting things with your business, and 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 really hopefully representative of of where we're going as an industry, and and no better time than the the dawn of 2020 to be sitting down with you. So welcome to the uh, podcast here, Matt. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. I'm- really been looking forward to this opportunity. So. Yeah, great. Matt, why don't you why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about your background and and how you want I, I know I know a little bit about it and it's a pretty interesting background. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you wound up as as a young leader in the hardware home improvement retailing industry? Okay. Um, so, you know, as many people in the hardware industry, you know, I am technically fourth generation, but my uh, third generation father had uh, pushed big time Hey, go get some outside experience. Hey, go do something. And then if you decide you want to come back, great. If not, you know, do whatever you want to do and I'll be proud of you. So he, uh, you know, pushed me along and I uh, lived in Florida for about 10 years. I actually spent uh, several years in the finance industry. Um, met my wife in Florida. Didn't think I was ever coming back to Ohio, but, uh, um, you know, kids change everything. And somehow uh, we were able to make it back to Cincinnati and, um, my parents, while I was gone, had actually started the hardware cyber business. We've actually been around uh, since 1933, but in the mid-2000s, uh, they decided um, with our 
downtown Cincinnati locksmith business, hey, let's add some hardware to the equation, and, that, and the rest was history. So. Yeah. Well, it, it, and it's kind of an interesting uh, business that you come from on the on the locksmithing side. And I, I know you've told some stories before about is it your grandfather who's kind of like a, a pretty big deal when it comes to being a locksmith and breaking into safes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's right. You have very few enemies when they know you can break in anything they have. So. <laughs> that's a that's a that's an interesting perspective. Um, you know, did, did you as you were kind of growing up in and around, you know, whether it's the locksmithing business or eventually led you to the hardware business? Did you have an inkling that, that that you that you'd end up in that business, or did you did you were you one of these uh, kids who thought you, you know I'm just going to get away from this and 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 kind of not return? No, I always had a love for what my parents did. It's funny is that when I went to college in Florida, I was coming back each summer working. You know, I was always pushing a broom, doing a renovation, doing something to help the business, whether I was full time or even just remote. Um, I love being an entrepreneur and my parents gave me full leeway to do whatever I felt was necessary for the business. And, you know, my, my dad was, you know, my dad loves sales, but he hates managing. And so yeah. just having from a team environment, you know, just having me be a part of it, he was very welcoming and, you know, foster a lot of great ideas. And so anyways, I love working for family, but, you know, I also love my wife a lot. And so trying to bring her from Florida, I didn't yeah. think it was going to happen. And then uh, when we had our, our child down in Florida and she goes, you know what? I think Ohio is a great place to raise a family. Yeah. So before yeah. she changed her mind and before she saw a winner here, I got her up here. So. <laughs> good, but, good to move quick on that. Yeah. That's right. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, in the in the past, in 2019, when we kicked off the podcast, one of the things we had done is we focused a little bit and talked to a fellow by the name of Gary Pittsford. I don't know if you know Gary, but sure. uh, yeah, uh, talked about succession. And a lot of times when we've talked about succession, we always talk about it from the people selling the business, the moms and dads and grandpas and, and all that that are selling the business. Um, so it's interesting to come and talk to someone like you who kind of came into the family business. What were some of the kind of things that, that, that you guys did that, that made it kind of a smooth entry into the family business? Um, so, I mean, you know, you're talking about more in regards to like me coming back. Yeah, and when back you came it. back, right, yeah. So, you know, one of the best things that happened to us was that I, I was able to go back and get my MBA. And I actually had a teacher who, you know, focused on small business consulting and also valuation. And so... Uh, while we had kind of high level talked about transitioning and succession, you know, I was actually able to get, you know, I did have to pay tuition to get the advice, but it was actually <laughs> um, a really great segue for us to help transition into the business from my parents to myself. So it was kind of funny. I, you know, I wanted to get some more business background, but it actually ended up helping us coach for a really smooth family transition uh, a few years ago. So. Great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, about Woods Hardware? And I also like to hear a little bit about kind of the, the lock side of the business. But tell it is about what you guys are doing. You're obviously in an urban environment, sure. at least partially in an urban environment. Um, so you represent a couple of trends going on in the industry. And, and maybe you can tell us about how you differentiate from the competitors, what you're doing that's a little bit unique out there. Sure. So, I mean, back in 2006, when my parents uh, decided to open hardware as part of our equation, we only had about a 1,200 square foot, you know, very, very small, uh, A-moving, you know, hardware store. Yeah. Um, we had, there was a lot of development starting to happen in downtown Cincinnati, and we had a lot of contractors coming into our locksmith side, uh, but they didn't have somewhere they could pick up a roll of duct tape, a tube of caulk. And right. so they had the foresight to open it up, but at 1,200 square foot, you couldn't afford my overhead or, you know, <laughs> sure. so 
um, when I when I came back, uh, we just started seeing so much of a you know my generation and empty nesters moving back down to the urban core, and so uh, we were just looking and looking and looking. We found a space that was affordable that we could majorly expand our operations, and so. Um, you know, three years ago, we opened up our downtown Cincinnati hardware store. Well, in the middle of that development, we also had the opportunity to buy a four-store chain of hardware stores as well. So <laughs> now did I think, I guess, I guess I assumed I had too much free time. So <laughs> taking on a four-store chain and then also the downtown redevelopment, um, everything uh, basically launched in 2017 and, you know, the rest is history. So, Do you think, now, putting on the lenses of, of, of hindsight here, I mean, that had to present, I mean, buying a chain while you're re, re, redoing your, your primary operation, that, that had to present challenges that, that you know, maybe, did, was there times, certainly there probably were, where you thought, man, I probably bit off a little bit more than I needed to here. Yeah, I, I would say the, the fact that I was waking up at 3.30 in the morning consistently without an alarm, I would say that <laughs> yeah. probably was uh, one of the uh, symptoms, but... You know, it was just so much energy and just the key to any successful venture is your people. Yeah. And, you know, one of the best things that we could have done was hire some great talent. Yeah. And while, yes, it was a lot of uh, ideas and thoughts and just decisions that were being thrown at me, I had a really great staff that just really made it happen. So yeah. I'm not going to say it didn't feel like we came out of a war, but, you know, <laughs> but the end result is, you know, what we think is five really great hardware stores. So. Yeah, you have some distance on it now. So are you pretty happy where you are? Are you still kind of in active, you know, if another opportunity comes along, I'm going to I'm gonna snatch it mode or you digesting right now? No, nah, there's no such thing as digesting, according <laughs> to my wife. My, yeah. she, she knows me is that I can't sit on my hands. So when I'm sitting on my hands, it means I'm retired. And yeah. <laughs> I've got, you know, I'm constantly getting new opportunities thrown at us. Um, but, you know, there's constant redevelopment of the stores and just, you know, changing ideas and, you know, when you get complacent, that's when you lose. And so we're always looking for the next opportunity, the next technology, the next thing, you know, to make our stores relevant to our customers. When, when you talk about being relevant, um, what is it that you think today, you know, independent hardware business operator? I mean, you know, there's Home Depot, there's Walmart, there's just about any place you can buy hardware, now, now Amazon. What are you guys doing differently? What, what, what do you think the value that Woods brings to the table is? Well, and everything that you just said was, you know, their business model is transactions. You right. know, and my business model is that we're a community center that happens to do hardware. And yeah. so okay. that's the key difference is that we want people to come in our stores, have a free cup of coffee, free popcorn, come in and shoot the breeze. And if they happen to buy hardware, it's, you know, it's great. And, it, you know, people do business with people they like doing business with. And, you know, our model is more focusing on the relationship rather than the transaction. Yeah. So. And, and you're, a, you're a younger guy. Do you see, I mean, a lot of people would say, well, that's great, you know, when you're talking about, you know, people my age and older. But, but I mean, you're in a, in a pretty vibrant area that I'd imagine the demographic of people coming into your store downtown, but the stores in general, is probably a little bit more diverse. Yeah, we, I mean, the thing about the city center is that you get all spectrums of life, all areas yeah. of the county, you know, coming in. So, you know, we joke around that our first sale at our hardware store was a post hole digger, you know, in a downtown <laughs> environment. You know, I never, you know, when I saw the planogram come in, I'm like, man, that's going to collect, you know, collect dust. But, you know, it's one of those things you got to be relevant across all spectrums. And there's a lot of uh, how to's that people need. And especially in the urban core, there's just not that 
you know, do-it-yourself type mindset sometimes that they need a little bit more guidance right. just because of their inexperience dealing with hardware. So. Yeah, because I think we talk about, and, and one of the things that we just actually did some research on was was asking hardware retailers, you know, how have the demographics coming into your store changed? And, you know, about a little bit more than half said, you know, we are seeing younger people coming into our stores and, and we have to, we're providing, we're kind of changing the way we service customers a little bit based on on those differences. So, so it's certainly something you're seeing. But I think a lot of people kind of have this image of a, of a hardware store. Even when I talk to a lot of people about it, they'll say, oh, you know, like you guys represent mom and pop hardware stores. And, and not that there's anything wrong with being a mom and pop store, but I think there's this image of kind of a dusty old store that's a little bit behind the times. And, and certainly looking at your operation and other operations of people you and I know, that's, that's really kind of a little bit off base. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's that perception that mom and pops are, you know, disorganized, you know, they're floor to ceiling stacked with inventory. The only people that who know where anything is, is, you know, usually the owner or a key employee. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, my mindset is that sometimes more is less and, you know, keeping our stores well organized, you know, peg hooks have a purpose in a spot that they have to go into. Yeah. You know, we want to make sure that even if we can't give somebody one-on-one -on -one assistance, they're able to easily find what they're looking for, that everything has like a logical flow. So we try and use the same logic that when you do go into a big box that there's a purpose for every location, everything has a flow chart. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we just want to make sure that our inventory, you know, we're not married to our inventory. We're constantly donating it to reuse centers. We're, you know, making sure that, especially in an urban environment, every square inch is super valuable. And so if something's not turning or something is not hitting the marketplace, while there is sunk cost on inventory, being married to your inventory is a bad idea. Yeah. So. Um, one of the reasons you're here in our Indianapolis offices is, is, is you are uh, one of the uh, – uh, speakers at our State of Independence conference this year, and the conference has been designed to really bring all the different members of the Home Improvement Channel from distribution and manufacturing and retailers together to kind of learn what's going on with independent retailers. And and um, uh, and so, one, we appreciate you coming out and, and talking, but, um, you know, we talk about misconceptions, and one of the reasons we started the conference is because we thought there were a lot of misconceptions, even within our own industry, about independent retailers. And one of those being that, you know, for the most part, independent home improvement retailers shy away from things like technology. They kind of, you know, the image of doing a business out of a cigar box. And, and, and you're probably a great example of, of, of an independent operation that's really harnessing technology and looking at technology in some different ways. What First, talk to me about a little bit about, you know, this maybe misconception that independent retailers aren't gravitating towards new technologies, but also maybe share with us a little bit about some of the things you have embraced within your operation. Sure. So, I mean, you know, we don't have to necessarily have the Amazon of hardware stores, but our customers are wanting to do research. You know, people are easily obtaining information on the internet and if our you know whether it's our website or just our marketing anything you know we just want to make sure that people are able to quickly find what they're looking for and if it's on our retail shelves make sure it's there in stock so from a technology standpoint you know the the, the challenge in a small you know business is is that you know I'm the CEO but I'm also the chief technology officer the chief marketing officer the chief, <laughs> yeah. you know you've got all these titles and so there's this fear mentality of like, I, you know, can I manage all these things? And, you know, the 
resounding answer is yes. You know, there's a lot of technology out there that is almost you could put on to autopilot, you know, from things like Pointy, from Yex to uh, Matterport, the, the different types of technologies we've embraced. You know, there's just minimal management. Now, is there more that we can get out of it if I had more time? Absolutely. But to be relevant to a customer base as diverse as ours is, you know, we feel like we're hitting all the spectrums and we're not really having to be technological geniuses to do yeah. it. You know, people ask, think that I have like a tech savviness. So I was like, no, I just have a people savviness and know how to connect with people that know how to do things really well. And so that's where we've been able to find, you know, third-party providers that really is plug and play, you know, a few weeks of develop or learning and then let it go. So. What, what would you say are some of the um, uh, innovations or things on the tech side if you had to say these are the one or two things that we've done within the business that have, that have for us had the greatest impact, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that and, and from the process of how did we decide to make this uh, you know, investment to what we learned in the process to kind of the results we're seeing. Sure. So uh, t- uh, two parts of that is that first, you know, we felt like from uh, the way that Amazon is you know, pushing the world, you know, we wanted customers to have, you know, from a retail perspective, the, the damage that Amazon causes is that there's an impulsivity to retail. You know, we, you know, we joke around that we're the Walgreens of hardware. And so when somebody comes in for a roll of duct tape, they're probably walking out with two or three other impulse items that they didn't think about. Sure. So, you know, we uh, developed this 3D hardware store where we worked with a company called Matterport, where they digitally um, stitched together our entire store where you could do a virtual walkthrough. We wanted our customers to be able to Hey, we might be only open 7.30 to 7.30, but at 11 o'clock at night when you're sitting on your couch, have the ability to walk through our store to see, hey, hey maybe they do have that in stock. Well, and know? what's really cool about that, too, and I would encourage you guys to go to the Woods Hardware website to, to, to take a look at this. It's not like like you, most people would think of a 3D view of the hardware store where you're standing in one spot and you can kind of rotate 360 degrees and see it. You're actually walking through the hardware stores and, and getting into kind of the nooks and crannies and actually looking at kind of at shelf level what's out there. That's right. And, you know, from the image quality, everything else is that, you know, you're, what we're just trying to do is make people exposed to what the store, you know, there's always that apprehension of going into someplace new well it allows people just to get a foot in the door without actually having a physical foot in the door and then from a a standpoint of um, the retail side of it is that we've also connected it to our e-commerce site that's directly connected to our point of sales so um, the second point of what we're doing as well is that we partner with a company called BuilderWire and they've been able to work with our you know uh, our partner True Value, and they work with others like Do It Best and Ace, and you know they build a really great website. They yeah. they get the images, they get the data feed, but then they're also able to tap into our point of sale. Then you know there's obviously a fee up front to get the site developed, but for a nominal fee, they're keeping the data live and you right. know like a live interactive site with multiple stores for exceptionally expensive amount of money. You know we spent gobs of money trying to do it ourselves and then realize there's other people that know how to do it way faster right. and maybe there's a higher upfront cost but the long-term benefit has been huge for us so uh, you know people can now 3d walk through our stores and then be, you know if they like a section they can click on a link that's on the the walkthrough and go right to our website and purchase it and we'll have same day delivery as well which i i gotta point out is as far as i've seen i mean 
you know, here's an independent retailer in the middle of the United States, young guy, relatively new to the business. And that's, I haven't seen that any, really any place else within this industry, those kind of capabilities. So I always think it's interesting to point out that innovation certainly is not just coming from the Home Depots and the Amazons. There's innovative ideas that are, that are bubbling up, certainly from small independent operations in the middle of the middle of the country. And, um, you know, but one of the things that makes independence in this this segment strong, but is also always a challenge, is there's such diversity out there. I will still talk to groups that sit and tell me I don't need a website, and, and you know, and in today's day and age, um, you might be able to get by with that for a little while, but not for too much longer. I, I mean, you know, that old word of mouth and and so on is is kind of uh, is kind of losing relevance today, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, people will talk about what's the return on investment, anything you spend. Well, I think it's an accumulation of doing all the right things. So yeah. it might not be a direct that, hey, if I spent $20,000 on the website, did I make $20,000 in profit year one? Not necessarily, but you can't necessarily, uh, you know, calculate the intrinsic value that you're building that you know, you're just becoming more relevant to what your customers want. And the less relevant you are, the less likelihood they're going to, you know, that moment that they need a hammer is in their brain going to pop in your store or is it going to be Home Depot? And they have a leg up when it comes to marketing and branding. But if we can have that ability for it to be quick, convenient, and they can quickly look online to say, okay, yeah, they do have it. I'm going to pop in there rather than spend 20 minutes trying to walk the aisles to find that one item. So. Well, you know, and, and sometimes people can be so focused on a metric like return on investment that they don't look at things like opportunity cost. And and if you're going to sit down and say, well, you know, it's going to take me a long time to recoup. I got to recoup. If I build a website, I've got to recoup my investment through sales on the website. Well, that could be pretty short-sighted by not looking at, if I don't have a website, what am I missing? Right. You know, so... Um, the the project that you uh, that you worked on, where did that idea come from? Is that just something you guys kind of came up with? And no, it's just funny. I had uh, two friends. You know, uh, they saw our downtown hardware store and were like, hey, "This is a really cool space." They had actually a virtual touring company for oh, real okay. estate, and uh, shot me a text and said, "Hey, I'd love to talk to you about our VR company." And so we had coffee, and he showed me a demo of um, you know a house that he did a tour on. And just something just sparked in my head, man, this would be amazing if I could connect this to e-commerce. So that was about two years ago that that initial idea popped in my head and just said, hey, what is this system capable of doing? And, you know, a few coffees later and maybe a beer or two, uh, <laughs> we uh, started talking through, hey, is the next phase of retail, you know, this virtual ability for people um, to, you know, have a feel like it is retail they still have the ability to come in our stores but do i necessarily have to invest in as many retail stores if i more hit the areas of their you know if if i can have people virtually walk our stores buy the product they need and i can deliver it to them and do it in this means would this be right. the answer or the future especially if retail is struggling and yeah. so anyways from uh you know concept to you know what we're doing right now you know this is really our first year of live action with it and you know our customers love it you know we're getting a couple thousand hits a month per store yeah. and the amount of impressions and eyeballs that are looking at it it's not necessarily paying off dollar wise like from a you know an e-commerce side but in terms of just marketing ability and just getting more relevance 
we've seen a tremendous uptick in growth on our web presence. Where do you, we touched on this a little bit, but but when you look at your business right now, do you have a growth plan kind of built? Do you think this is where I want to be at the end of 2020? This is where I want to be at the end of 2023? Or are you just kind of hitting the balls as they come at you? Uh, I wish I was that organized. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, you know, I'm a procrastinator, but I'm also, you know, I, I'm a dreamer, but I'm also a doer. And I, you know, I vet ideas very, very hard. And I, I don't have a growth projectory. You know, I don't want to, I don't have to have 15% growth year over year, every single, it's chasing the best ideas because I feel like there's so many out there. And so, um, you know, I wish I had, you know, a uh, controller, you know, somebody who was much more like helping me get from a budgetary standpoint. Yeah. But I just love what I do. And it's so easy to go to work and not worry about what you get paid when you really love what you're doing. And, you know, we're seeing the net results of this passion and just seeing, you know, seeing the employees get on board with it and seeing our customers get on board with it. And, you know, I, the amount of opportunities that have been thrown to us just because of the exposure we've gotten, right. like from, you know, other hardware stores being for sale to, you know, hey, these locations. And, you know, I just before this podcast got a phone call from a new development opportunity. It's, it's amazing how much, uh, I guess, opportunities came about just because of what we're doing here. Yeah, People are coming to us first saying, hey, we love what you're doing. We would love for you to come in our community. And that's a huge first step for us is that, you know, it's, it's then trying to go through the funnel of, you know, what's the best opportunity to chase because there's so many great ones out there. So. One thing that I think, um, you know, is interesting about you and, and some of the other uh, uh, ladies and, and, and guys that you know in the industry is, is that, you're also really not content to, to sit in your store and just kind of let let the the business come at you. You've also been been uh, pretty active in trying to get out into the industry. And congratulations, you're you're one of the newest board of directors for the uh, uh, directors on the board for uh, North American Retail Hardware Association. Um, but you also participate in a CEO roundtable group. You also go to the National Hardware Show. You, you you do a lot kind of just outside of the four walls, if you will, of your business. How do you think, what what made you decide to do that? And, 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 and how do you think that kind of uh, influences or informs the direction you take your business? Well, I mean, you know, you go to these, you know, the roundtables, you go to these networking events, you do things with the NRHA that, Every time I come away with a golden nugget of, man, you know, why didn't I think of that? You yeah. know, and it's amazing when you're in a group of just like-minded people. But, you know, and I personally feel like I'm the dumbest guy in the room, which, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I'm constantly just sponging off of just things that people have been doing for years. That's like, man, that would be revolutionary in our business. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the, the net investment that I've made has far paid off in terms of the ideas, the um, uh, just getting best practices has just been yeah. an amazing, you know, we send people to the retail management program. Yeah. We've done all kinds of events where, you know, the NRHA has just been a great partner to work with, but it's also been, you know, a, uh, you know, just an opportunity for us to grow our business and just connect with great hardware stores all over the country. And it doesn't matter if they're with true value, do it best ACE, you know, it really just breaks down that barrier and just really connects you with some really great people. What uh, you know now that you've kind of cut your teeth a little bit in the in the business and and seeing it from the family side, what what are some things that you may may have looked back and say I would have done this different, or if there's someone else like Matt 
woods out there who's just getting started or thinking about, do I want to go into the family business? Do I want to go into retail as a business? What would you, what, what kind of advice would you pass along or what would you say to them? You know, uh, you know, in terms of just doing business right, you know, I felt like we had a good business plan that the biggest challenge that we saw was changing a culture. And so when you either acquire or you're setting the pace for a culture, um, I had a background working for Chick-fil-A a long time ago and, you know, I had an opportunity to become an owner operator. And so oh, okay. learning about how, you know, they're in the fast food industry, but they've really focused on the culture. And, you know, people are always mesmerized by how well the service is in that type of an environment. Well, when we took over um, this four-store chain, you know, they're a good independent business, but man, changing that culture was insanely hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took about two years to really get people onto the program in terms of this is how we do business. This is how we treat customers. This is how we create this environment of being a community center that happens to do hardware. And so um, while I'm ambitious and I want to keep growing, I realized it took me a little bit of a pause that if we were going to be able to replicate what we're doing, we had to really focus home on making sure our SOPs, making sure our people were the right fit for our right. customers that we're going for. So that would be my number one thing is, you know, if you feel like the culture is not there, then stop the growth, focus on the culture. And once the culture is there, then you can go, you know, go into your next phase of growth. That's great so. advice. Um, what do you, uh, kind of from sitting where you are right now and, and having been exposed to kind of a little broader uh, uh, sense of the industry, what do you think some of the biggest challenges just independent retailers are facing today? And, and on the other side, what are, some of the, what are some of the opportunities that you think people might not recognize, but the, obviously you're in this business for a reason, so there's got to be opportunities. Yeah, I, th I think the biggest challenge is, you know, where do you fit in the marketplace? Are you going to be a low-cost provider that's you know, chasing the same dollar of Home Depot, or are you going to be a, you know, is your value proposition being convenience and, you know, being relevant to your customers within your sphere of influence? And so, you know, I think our big challenge is, is that, you know, everybody's fearing Amazon. Well, I don't think Amazon could be all things to all people. There's no relationship aspect. There's um, a model of quick service, but there's not an, an element of, do I care about who I'm giving my dollars yeah. to? And so, you know, you know, we've never been in the philosophy of price matching. We've never been in the philosophy of, you know, we have to be a low-cost provider. Um, again, that's why we go back to that whole mantra of being a Walgreens of hardware is that our place is high gross margins because we hire and we pay people above average wages. We hire quality people that know, you know, they're a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, but that's what our customers are looking for. And that's kind of where we see the opportunities is is – our relevance by having the best people within our walls. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing I would say in this marketplace really has just been the shortage of labor is that while it's great in concept, it's also, it's like where we find them. So that's been where we've been successful is we just had to actively recruit. You know, we go into the big boxes, you know, we ask a few questions and the person is very likable and then we slip them a card and say, Hey, give <laughs> yeah. me a call. So yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's really been a great way for us to find the talent we need. But I know that's been a, universal issue is just finding proper labor and then the wage is going up so quickly. Yeah. So. And that's, uh, you know, I know as we're headed into the conference, that's going to be one of the topics that we certainly discuss because everywhere I go, labor is the issue. Labor internally, labor externally, finding people, I mean, as, as you probably know, a lot of a lot of remodelers, construction are finding difficulty, finding labor to work on the job sites. And then so it's definitely a question that, that, that we're going to 
we're going to continue to 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 ruminate on and and try and see if there's anything as a as as an organization NRHA can do to try and help solve some of those labor issues. So, what, what as 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 we're headed into 2020, or in hindsight, if we're listening to this in the future, as we crossed into 2020, what's on your agenda for 2020? What's the what's the big thing you're focused on? Uh, you know, it's, it's actually acquisition and continued oh, okay. growth. So, uh, you know, we've got so we'll couple... put your number at the bottom of this if anybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel I have to, you know, I always have to uh, Google around my uh, my Gmail account, you know, which non-disclosures I'm under right now. So, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, there's always just a lot of opportunities and I get signed on an NDA and you know, but it takes me a good three to four months to really vet sure. a good idea. But uh, I got two really good ones in the woodwork right now. Oh, so 2020 great. is uh, a year of, we feel like acquisition is now talent acquisition. Um, so when we look at it from a dollar perspective, it's also like, are we inheriting a really solid culture and also getting mm-hmm. some key employees? So that's been the change in our philosophy of, you know, looking for opportunity, but we're also looking for talent. And yeah. that's part of where these two that we're working on right now is they have some amazing people, some um, high level staffing that we really need to help, you know, fill in some gaps in our culture. So. Oh, that's great. Um, last question for you. It, 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 you know, as, as listeners to the podcast, we have people that are retailers, uh, but also manufacturers and distributors. If, if there was a message that you could you know, deliver to the manufacturing, the distribution community about, here's what we need as, as independent retailers for support to help us kind of grow and, and go into acquisition mode and, and, and embrace technology, what, what would you kind of say to, to, to the listeners from those parts of the channel? Uh, just a couple things is that, you know, one, information is key. So the, if getting a, a website where we can get how-to videos, how to, you know, everything is so YouTube. If you've got a YouTube channel, if you have uh, just spec sheets, things like that that I could add to my website, things yeah. that I can, you know, piggyback on. You guys are the experts of your product, and, you know, having an easy portal for a retailer to be able to tap into is huge. And then secondly, stop selling on Amazon. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But no, well, but my, not, not really. Yeah. No, but kidding, uh, not kidding. Yeah. But no, my 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 aspect is is just you know, I know you, it's been challenging times with tariffs and supply yeah. chain and everything else. Just being an open book and just you know, you know, we see our vendor relationships as partnerships, and you know, the more that you can help us with information, I think it will help solidify the relationship long term. Great. Matt, always great to sit down and have a chat with you. I appreciate you being on the podcast and uh, look forward to hearing you talk at the conference. Awesome. And, well, thanks and, for having and me. And we'll certainly try and have you back maybe next year and learn what you've done. And, and maybe you're up to 10, 20 stores by then. <laughs> oh, man, we'll see. But thanks, Dan. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks, Matt. I just wanted to make sure everybody listening knows that if you're an independent home improvement retailer in the United States or Canada, you're already a member of the North American Retail Hardware Association. And so that means if you're a hardware store, home center, or lumberyard and you're independently owned, you're already a member of NRHA. And the NRHA has been in existence since 1900 and serves its members in a variety of ways, from Hardware Retailing Magazine and our two podcast series to exclusive research and events, the association is here to help you become better and more profitable business owners. So we encourage you to make sure you take advantage of the services that are available to you that can help you better compete. To learn more about what NRHA does for you, make sure you visit us at www.nrha.org. Thank you.